What do the San Francisco Giants need to do to actually contend in 2024? It's kind of a burning question of the offseason, but it's been swept under the rug a little bit because the Giants fired Gabe Kapler at the end of the 2023 season. There's an ongoing manager search. We have not heard many details about that search, and the MLB playoffs are taking place right now. And on top of that, a lot of Giants fans are particularly interested in the playoffs right now because guess who? Bruce Bochy is having a ton of success so far with the Texas Rangers. Welcome to another edition of the Kerry Crowley Show. Pleasure to be with you. And later on in this show, I will bring in my guest, Roger Munter. We're going to break down what the Giants need to do this offseason to put together a roster that actually gives them an opportunity to, at the very least, contend for a wildcard spot, if not contend for a division title next season. And yes, that sounds kind of outrageous when you think about the last two years in San Francisco to talk about contending for a playoff spot and at that, a top playoff spot. But the bottom line is the Giants need to get back to the playoffs and they need to get back to winning in the playoffs. And people are not going to sit here, Giants fans in particular, season ticket holders in particular, people who I hear from who inspired me to start doing this show are not going to sit and wait for the Giants to say, hey, you know what? It's time to rebuild. Actually, we're going to take a step back next season because the last four years, save for 2021, have been a step back for the San Francisco Giants, even if they didn't intend to be a step back, even from a spending standpoint, if the Giants didn't sink to the bottom of the league and trade away their most valuable assets. You look at the rosters that they put together, save for 2021, when Buster Posey was back in the fold and Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt had career years, Kevin Gossman was at the top of his game, and the Giants just simply haven't done enough to field the roster that's competitive at the top of the National League. And we know that because these preseason projections come out every year, whether it be Fangrass, Pakoda, the Giants are generally speaking for the last few seasons picked to finish right around 500, sometimes picked to finish under, maybe the most optimistic projections have them winning 83 or 84 wins. But then we hear the line internally, the Giants believe that they will be better. And it's really up to them to prove it on an annual basis. Hey, projections are good for one thing. They can give us one data point on where the Giants should be at the end of the season. But in the end, come October 1st, 2nd, or 3rd, whenever the season does end, we'll have the actual data point. We know that based on where the Giants thought they would be in 2022, where the Giants thought they would be in 2023, you can look at those seasons. And I know that some people say they played the kids this season. That was a good development. But to me, they're failures because the Giants had the stated goal internally, externally of making the playoffs. And it doesn't matter how you get there. It matters that you do get there. And the Giants did not do it. So to me, it's a failure. And it may sound harsh. It may sound critical, but this is sports. This is entertainment. There are people paying a lot of money to go to games, to watch this team, to stay up late, to watch 162 games. Maybe you're not watching all 162, but maybe you're tuning in for most of them and devoting a portion of your summer, a portion of your life to this team. And for them to fail on a year-in, year-out basis, this has been the case uh, for much of the last seven or eight years in San Francisco, save for 2021, which of course was an incredible season. You can't take away 107 wins. I was there every day as a Giants beat reporter, and I know that everyone wants to look at that season as an outlier. I'll just tell you, 
everything went right for the Giants that season. They pushed a lot of the right buttons. They coached their players up well. And I don't look at it as much of an outlier as other people do because I was there on a day-in and day-out basis. But that brings me to another topic. And I'll try and get through this quickly before I bring in Roger, before we talk about how the Giants can reshape this roster to put themselves in a position to contend next season. It brings me to the point of how bad of a look is it for the San Francisco Giants organization to see Bruce Bochy not just in the playoffs, but thriving in the playoffs with the Texas Rangers. The Rangers went into Tampa Bay and took both games from the Rays, made it look easy. The Rangers then play their ALDS series against the Baltimore Orioles, a team that won 101 games during the regular season, and they sweep them. The, the Orioles hadn't been swept all year, and the Rangers swept them in a best-of-five series. Bruce Bochy 5-0 and in the playoffs so far. And you've got people all over social media saying not just that this is embarrassing for the Giants, but a little revisionist history that the Giants shouldn't have fired Bruce Bochy. They shouldn't have shown him the door. And I'll tell you one thing. I was there covering the team in 2017, 2018, 2019, which was Bruce Bochy's last season. And I personally am thrilled to see him having success in the postseason again. He was maybe more so than any other person in the sport who's not involved in the journalism side of things, maybe the person who taught me the most about baseball, taught me the most about decision-making, and taught me the most about having some respect for the sport. You can look on my wall if you're watching on YouTube, and one of the newspapers behind me is Mike Yastrzemski standing alongside his grandfather, Carl Yastrzemski. And if I was standing up right now, the newspaper above that would also be a front page from Fenway Park in 2019. The front page was Bruce Bochy taking me before the Giants' final day game at Fenway Park inside the Green Monster and showing me the history of why it's such a revered place for people in Major League Baseball because he could point out the signatures of old teammates, of players that he'd managed, of people who'd had a profound impact on him in the game. And he could go through the signatures on the wall of the Green Monster inside there at Fenway Park, and he could tell a story about so many of those people. And I thought that was incredibly cool. To me, it was maybe the single greatest day I had covering Giants baseball independent of the 2021 NLDS Giants-Dodgers, which of course... You know, going back to 1962, all the history between those teams coming out west in 1958, just an amazing series. And I treasure those memories. I treasure that opportunity. But I also want to remember why Bruce Bochy is no longer managing the San Francisco Giants and why he finds himself in the dugout for the Texas Rangers. Because the farther we get removed from 2019, when he made the decision, and yes, it was his decision to step away from managing the San Francisco Giants and now he's in the playoffs with the Texas Rangers, it's important to retell that story so that we don't lose the context of why those things were happening. And I think to begin telling that story, you have to go back to the second half of the 2016 season. The Giants are on a tear at the start of 2016. It looks like it's going to be even year magic again. I think they went to the All-Star break either with the best record in the National League, best record in the Major Leagues. I don't know. I wasn't covering the team at that point, but I was watching them closely. And I did know that they were an absolute juggernaut during the first half of the 2016 season. You get to the second half of 2016 and they fall apart. The vaunted bullpen that had been so good throughout Bruce Bochy's tenure in San Francisco was terrible. The Giants couldn't close games. They set a franchise record for blown saves that season. And all of a sudden, they get bounced in the NLDS by the Chicago Cubs. And a lot of people look at that series. If one thing goes differently, maybe Santiago Casilla comes into the ninth inning of game four. Who knows? Maybe the Giants were still playing 
into October because I think they would have had Johnny Cueto going game five. And you remember that was Cueto's far away best season in a Giants uniform. But nevertheless, the Giants react to their bullpen failures that offseason by giving Mark Melanson a four-year, $64 million contract. And Giants fans will remember that contract as one of the reasons that Bobby Evans' tenure as the general manager, as their top baseball decision maker following the Brian Sabian era, as one of the reasons that his tenure went south. And so it leads to a disastrous season. Everyone gets older in 2017. The entire core gets older. The Giants lose a few key pieces. And Mark Melanson is not the closer they thought he could be. The Giants lose 98 games. Madison Bumgarner crashes his dirt bike. Just about everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. It's like the inverse of the 2021 season when everything could have gone right, did go right. 2017 was the exact opposite. And I was there, I think I started in June of that season, covering the team for KMBR as their beat reporter. And it was like they were so thrilled to win one game in a three-game series. And Brian Sabian even said that later on that season. And in September, when he said the autopsy had already begun on that season for the San Francisco Giants, which I thought was one of the you know most important lines in describing how south things went for that team, it was just... Everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. And so you have a season and a half built up of the Giants being a really bad team because it started in the second half after the All-Star break in 2016. 2017, they lose 98 games, tied for the most of the major leagues with the Detroit Tigers. Giants fans can only wish that that draft produced a superstar at the top because Joey Bart has not been that guy. For the Detroit Tigers, Casey Mize wasn't that guy either. And so one of the top two picks you would have figured would have panned out, but That's from beside the point. So 2018 comes around and the Giants do this thing where they lean in on their core after 2017. They make the business decision that they are not going to rebuild. They are not going to take 2017 as an indication of what's to come. They look at it as an aberration, the way that some Giants fans view the 2021 season. You know, it's an aberration for the team to be that good compared to really where it's been from 2020 to 2023 under Farhan Zaidi and formerly under Gabe Kapler. And so 2018 rolls around and Bobby Evans is given the monumentally difficult task of building a contender out of a team that had just lost 98 games while staying under the luxury tax threshold. And I think that that was a really key point in describing why things didn't go well for the Giants in 2018, because he had to add players who were valuable everyday players while spending something like 25 to $30 million. The Giants had little to no breathing room under the luxury tax threshold, and ownership was very clear. The Giants could not go over the luxury tax threshold that year. For whatever reason, they just didn't want to pay it. And so you've got a situation where you're coming off a 98-loss season, and you're trying to rebuild, and no one ever wants to give Bobby Evans credit for this, and I get it. But to actually acquire Andrew McCutcheon and Evan Longoria in deals that would have theoretically made your team a little bit better if guys bounced back, if Buster Posey, if Brandon Crawford, if Brandon Belt all bounced back and actually performed the way they did in 2021, but it was 2018, then the Giants might have had something. But it was just the most impossible ask of a front office executive in baseball to try to build a winner while not spending much out of a 98-loss team. They were counting on so much, and in the process— They traded away Brian Reynolds, who in the last decade would have been the biggest building block coming through the farm system. And remember, Brian Reynolds was their first pick in the 2016 draft, but the Giants actually didn't have a first round pick 
that year. They took Brian Reynolds, I believe it was 52nd overall, second round out of Vanderbilt. They thought they got first round talent, but nevertheless, they didn't have a first round pick because they signed Jeff Samarja to a five-year, $90 million deal before the 2016 season. One of the worst, most puzzling deals the Giants have given out. Yes, you want to sign big-time free agents. You want to sign guys who can pitch at the front end of your rotation. But I don't know. I'd have to go back. I was still pretty young at that point. I'd have to go back and really see if Jeff Samarja was viewed as that type of a guy or if the Giants were just projecting him as that type of a guy. But nevertheless, you look at that deal, you look at the Mark Melanson deal, you look at the Andrew McCutcheon deal, and all of a sudden, the Giants really put themselves in a big hole. And while they put themselves in this big hole, they weren't trading away Brandon Crawford's contract, Brandon Belt's contract, Madison Bumgarner's contract, Will Smith's contract. They were holding on to these guys. And so they never entered a full rebuild, which I'm of the belief that if you're a major market team that is going to spend a lot of money every season, at that point, the Giants still believe they should be spending a lot of money. They should be brushing up against the luxury tax threshold, even if not spending over the luxury tax threshold, that maybe you don't need to go through a full rebuild. I think that sometimes following the Cubs and the Astros model from the early 2010s to get themselves to the point where they gutted their entire major league roster, just built these stellar farm systems, and had four or five horrendous seasons that fans had to sit through before the team could be good again, I actually really don't like that. I like the idea of spending on a year-in, year-out basis and making things over on the fly. The challenge for the Giants was, after you lose 98 games, you have to spend a lot of money. You can't just use the luxury tax threshold as your soft cap or in which case they use it as a hard cap. They weren't going over. You have to say, you know, let's deal in reality a little bit. We probably have to spend 20, 30, 40 million more dollars if we're going to realistically turn this team into a contender in the National League West and compete with the Dodgers, who were still absolute juggernauts at that point. Maybe that was the height of Dodgers baseball because they were loaded at that time and the Giants just didn't measure up. And so the end of the 2018 season comes around. Andrew McCutcheon had been traded to the Yankees. It was clear that Bobby Evans was not going to continue in that job. And, you know, there were even questions. There were articles being written, you know, had Bruce Bochy done enough with the talent that had been given to him? Was Bruce Bochy losing his touch on that team? And I think we can look back at those questions and say, well, he just didn't have the roster to win with. He just didn't have the talent to compete with. But there were questions in San Francisco at the time. I remember because I was there and writing about the team and players weren't as effusive in their praise at the time. They still thought Hall of Fame manager, no doubt, but it was maybe time for a different voice in San Francisco. And the clear cut view, not just from ownership, not just from the people at the highest levels of the organization, but also from fans at the time, also from fans who were quick to realize that the Giants were falling behind from an analytics standpoint, from a technology standpoint, from an infrastructure standpoint, pitching, offense, swing technology, whatever you want to look at, the Giants were falling behind the rest of the industry. And so when they made the decision to fire Bobby Evans, they said, Larry Bear said, they wanted a next-gen president of baseball operations, executive, whatever you wanted to call it at that time. And Giants fans, for the most part, I would say 80, 90% who'd sat through the end of the 2016 season, who'd sat through the end of 2017, who'd sat through the entire 2018 season, they were fed up and they realized that to compete in modern baseball, the Giants would have to become a little bit more modern. They would have to abandon some of their old school ways. And so for the most part, the idea of bringing in someone new school, someone with different views than a Bobby Evans or a Brian Sabian had 
was viewed as a positive in San Francisco. And don't let revisionist history tell you otherwise, because at the time, there were people who were skeptical of Farhan's ties to the Dodgers and maybe would have preferred a Heim Bloom or someone from the Rays organization or someone from another analytically inclined organization. However, the pretty much consensus at the time was that the Giants had to become more modern. And part of that was moving into a different era in the front office, moving on from Brian Sabian and Bobby Evans. And so they make the decision to hire Farhan Zaidi from Los Angeles. And yes, his Dodger ties were not popular, but there was no denying at the time the Dodgers were the model front office in Major League Baseball. The way that they had built a team that was contending every single season, playing deep into the postseason. Yeah, they hadn't won anything at that point, but it felt like they were on the verge. And it still feels like they're on the verge, even though every year they win 100 games and every year they don't win a World Series unless you're counting 2020, which is just a completely different year. Nevertheless, let's move on. Let's talk about what happens after Farhan Zaidi's hired. Bruce Bochy decides that he wants to continue on as manager of the San Francisco Giants, which was his decision. He wanted to manage the 2019 season. The Giants were not encouraging him to leave the job. The Giants were not saying, hey, if you don't get the job done this year, we are definitely going to be moving on. There was not an ultimatum made to Bruce Bochy. There was none of that. But Bruce Bochy is a smart person. He can read the writing on the wall. He knows that when someone who isn't named, Brian Sabian or Bobby Evans, someone who he didn't have a decade plus you know, working relationship with was in charge, maybe it was for the best for him and for the organization to just take some time off. And I say that because Bruce Bochy, when he, when he decided to retire and he made that announcement in 2019, he was intent on staying away from the game. Maybe it wasn't going to be forever. In fact, he was pretty careful to say that it wasn't going to be forever. I think the right opportunity came along. He knew he might get back into baseball, but he was absolutely, after a quarter century of managing the Padres and the Giants, ready to take a year off. I think that's natural. The guy had grandkids, and he wanted to be involved in their lives. He had sons living in different parts of the country, and he and his wife, Kim, wanted to go spend time with them. And when you manage a baseball team, the one thing you can't do is spend time with your family. So he said, I'll give it one last go, and then I'm going to take some time for myself. And that is what happened. Bruce Bochy was not forced out by Farhan Zaidi. He was not forced out by whoever the Giants were going to hire. He had the decision to stay on as long as he wanted to. And let's say it gets to a 2020, a 2021, and let's say he and Farhan aren't clicking and they're failing together. Then it would have been fair to say, okay, he probably was forced out at that time. But in February of 2019, when he held his retirement press conference in the dugout in Scottsdale, I was there when the cameras were on, and I was there also throughout the 2019 season when the cameras were off, when Bruce Bochy was not having discussions that were recorded, when Bruce Bochy was being honest and more authentic, and he was going to step away. He wanted to take some time for himself. He wanted to go spend that time with his sons, with his grandkids, with his family, to travel and see the world a little bit, and he wasn't ever going to rule out coming back. But this notion that the Giants forced him out, it's just simply not true. Look, maybe if Brian Sabian comes back and replaces Bobby Evans, maybe if they get a real old school guy in that job, a Dave Dombrowski, who knows? Maybe it's a harmonious relationship that's absolutely going to work. But what I can also tell you is that in discussing Bruce Bochy with Farhan Zaidi and discussing Farhan Zaidi with Bruce Bochy throughout that 2019 season, they were genuinely surprised at how well they got along. 
I don't think there was any sort of expectation among them. They knew it was going to be a little awkward at first because Boach had these long-standing relationships with people in the front office, and you know he was used to doing things a certain way, and Farhan was brought in to change the Giants' way because after failures in 2016, 2017, 2018, that's kind of what was mandated. Like Ownership fans were very frustrated at that time, but Bruce Bochy was genuinely surprised by how much he liked Farhan. I think Farhan was genuinely surprised by how much he liked Bruce Bochy. And I think that if Bruce Bochy wasn't set on stepping away, they could have made it work. But this notion that the Giants showed him the door, simply not true. It's just not factual. And this is someone who, after a quarter century, was afforded to make this decision on his own. And let's say he didn't make that decision in February. Let's say he gets to the end of the season, he sees the Giants in a third consecutive sub-500 year and looks up and, hey, there's not a whole lot of hope at that point. The Giants have been bad for three and a half years. I think as a manager, you don't want to go through a full rebuild when you've been doing it 25 seasons, when you've won three World Series titles. I think the reason Bruce Bochy is back in baseball is because the Texas Rangers were committed to winning in 2023, were committed to spending in 2023 and had a general manager or baseball president of baseball operation. I don't know what Chris Young's title is, but he's someone who Bruce Bochy knew because he managed him. He had a longstanding relationship with him. I think all the factors that got the Texas Rangers to where they are, the factors that enabled Bruce Bochy to sign on and say, okay, if I'm going to do this again, these are the circumstances with which I would do it. I don't think that he was suddenly going to sign on for any old manager job. You know, Kansas City Royals job, Chicago White Sox job become available. I don't think he was suddenly going to say, those are my teams. I think it had to be right. You had to find a team that was dead set on spending money. You had to find a team that was dead set on having star power. You had to find a team that was dead set on competing at the top of the division and in turn making a push to make the playoffs and be in the playoffs. Because I don't think that at the end of the 2019 season, Bruce Bochy thought the Giants would be there. I think realistically, he knew when Farhan was hired, that it was going to be a long time. He looked at those contracts that Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, and Buster Posey had at the time, which in 2019 were widely viewed as dead weight. Look, 2021 was not viewed as something that could happen. It wasn't within the realm of possibility. He looked at those contracts. He looked at the Giants situation with the new front office, and he said, you know what? I'm good. And so I think it's important to remember that because you can be really, really happy for Bruce Bochy. And I'm among the happiest people for him during this postseason. I think I've been watching these Rangers games and staying up, you know, after game three, uh, waiting to hear him interviewed on the field to see what he would say because he's so compelling. And you can see he's got that magnetic presence as a leader. He really trusts in his guys. It's so fun to listen to players talk about Bruce. It's so fun to listen to Bruce talk about a winning ball club and what happens in that clubhouse to get the guys in position to win. It's just, it brings back those feelings for Giants fans of 2010, 2012, and 2014. But what you can't do is rewrite history. What you can't do is say, well, the Giants should have never let Bruce Bochy walk. Because back in 2019, just about everyone thought the Giants needed to go in a different direction in the front office. Not necessarily a different direction in the dugout. But once they committed to that different direction in the front office, Bruce was good. He was fine with stepping away. And he did have grandkids that he wanted to see. He did have sons that he wanted to go visit in different parts of the country. And he didn't want to manage 162 games knowing that it was going to be for a losing ball club, which is essentially 
what the Jags were going to be because they'd put themselves in such a bad position. From signing Jeff Samarja to trading for Andrew McCutcheon to signing Mark Melanson to giving out these long-term contracts that people thought would never pay off, it just wasn't feasible for the Giants to be good any time in the time that Bruce Bochy wanted to be good. And so he was able to step away. He was able to come back and find the absolute right fit for the Texas Rangers. And I think every Giants fan should probably be rooting for Bruce Bochy, although it'll be interesting. Some of the old heads might be rooting for Dusty Baker if the Astros are there. It'll be a fun LCS if it's Bruce Bochy and Dusty Baker. I'm recording this while the Astros are playing. They have the lead, so who knows? But I don't think we can just go back and say that what happened in 2018, the state of the Giants organization, would have led them in any other direction. You can be extremely happy for Bruce. You can be extremely happy for the Texas Rangers. But you have to remember, the Giants wanted to go in a different direction. And I think most fans I talked to, in fact, just about every fan I talked to back then, were ready to go in a different direction from a front office standpoint. When they made that commitment, it meant that the Giants were not going to be good immediately. And it meant that their manager, who desperately wanted to manage talented teams, was not going to hang on. Quarter century, he was able to call his shot. He did call his shot. He called his shot to get back in baseball. And now we have the joy of watching him in the postseason. So don't let that ruin your joy. Up next, my conversation with Roger Munter on how the Giants get back to the postseason. What can this team, this franchise do this offseason to turn around two incredibly disappointing, two incredibly frustrating seasons and get back to where this franchise needs to be? Here's Roger. All right, we are back for another episode of... I guess we've never really named these, Roger. There are no, we we have no names. Shows. So uh, another day of us talking Giants baseball, and it's the off season, so us talking baseball in general. How are you? I, you know, I keep trying to crowdsource the name, but none of them, none of my listeners are helping out here. So uh, anybody has a good idea? I, I'm doing well, Kerry. It's it's finally uh, we had a little late September warming trend out here, and we're finally getting into that autumny weather that I like. It's kind of crisp and cool and it feels like fall baseball. I love it. How about you? I'm doing okay. You know, uh, it's, I have to admit, you know, being on the East coast right now, I'm headed back to San Francisco (laughs) for 10 days in 48 hours. I cannot wait. The, the schedule is just terrible. I'm trying to watch (laughs) Giants or I'm, excuse me, I'm trying to watch Dodgers and Diamondbacks right now. And it's like past my bedtime when those games are starting. When they're starting, yeah. You I love listening to Bob Costas on the call. I know that he's extremely polarizing, but for a series where things are kind of thrown upside down, you see the Diamondbacks team speed taking over, see the Dodgers pitching failures right now. Costas is having a field day with some of these calls. Yeah, I'm, you know, Costas and Al Michaels were both like young, young bucks when I was a kid. So I'd still like them. I still maybe put up with Costas more than I like him. Um, but I mean, the man has a world of knowledge at his disposal and, and he knows how to use it. I mean, he's called every kind of game there is in every situation. So, uh, but yeah, 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 welcome to the world of East coast fanship. Um, I don't know if you made it through the 49ers game the other night, <laughs> but just like everything starts at ridiculously late times and it, it really does wear on you after a while. So yeah, Great. good luck you go into the West coast, right? When the playoffs start. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very excited about that. And another year where uh, the Giants are not in the playoffs, another year where people are already asking you everything there is to know about the Arizona Fall League and what the Giants <laughs> will be doing in free agency. So 
where do you want to start? Uh, MLB playoffs, free agency, fall league. There's so many different places we could go here. Let's start with the playoffs. I mean, just big picture. What kind of jumps out to you about it? Uh, To me, it has been very fun to see the underdogs thrive. And I know that there's been the conversation about the playoff format sparked in part because Ken Rosenthal wrote a big article Mm -hmm. for the outlet that I work for, The Athletic. And I think it's so funny that this took off on social media because it's just one column of the thousands written about the MLB postseason <laughs> shows you the poll that Ken has about the playoff format. Should we be changing it to favor the teams that win more games during the regular season? And here I am looking at one of my favorite teams that I ever watched, and that was the 2014 San Francisco Giants that were a wild card team that had to scrape through throughout the playoffs. And I don't think anyone ever considered them the favorite, even though they, you know, were. Uh, two-time World Series champions at that point, and thinking about, you know, the damage that that manager, Bruce Bochy, is doing with a Texas Rangers <laughs> team that I think has a ton of talent. The Rangers yeah. are incredibly yeah. fun to watch right now, and sure, they won, what, 89 games this season? I don't know the final number, but the Rangers are a talented team, and that's what stands out to me is they're loaded. Yeah, I, what really stands out to me, and I had a sense of this when I went up, when Kyle Harrison had his Major League debut, I drove up to Philly for that, and uh, there's just such an electricity in that park. I mean, you can see what a home field advantage that is for him. But watching the playoffs, what strikes me is how many stars I am watching at their peak. I mean, it is fun to watch Bryce Harper and Ronald Acuna Jr. go toe-to-toe. Those Phillies and Braves teams are so loaded with talent. It is crazy i'm like how do you guys get to watch all these people every night of the year um and the same with the texas team and even you know minnesota watching what carlos correa has done um impacting particularly on defense um but the the quality of play is so high too obviously we're recording this i don't know what day it is but (laughs) that crazy braves phillies game last night that ended on michael harris's double play every element of that play was so good even the mistakes were kind of good but yeah. the the thing that i keep watching when i see that play is the pickup that austin riley made on the overthrown ball which was the key to getting that out and it's so good and it happened so fast you just have to watch it over and over again to see how quickly he's got to pick that ball and throw it up to make that play work it was just incredible well, I, it was reminiscent of me a little bit to Derek Jeter and that flip at home plate, even though Riley is coming across the infield and firing yeah. the ball to Matt Olson. But think about that play. Who was the play? Was it Castellanos who hit the ball to yeah. right center field at that point? So Nick Castellanos hits the ball. Michael Harris, the second, tracks it down. Bryce Harper with the base running mistake. Austin Riley picks the ball up and throws it to Matt Olson. All of those players involved in that play would be the single best player on the San Francisco Giants. By far. I mean, by, <laughs> by far. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know that I want to get into this because maybe it's not what we talk about, but I thought Harper's play was interesting in that it was sort of a calculated gamble because obviously mm-hmm. his thought process was, if this ball drops, I'm scoring the tying run. I'm not going to wait for another good thing to have to happen to us. Um, and it looked on the TV like Harris had a track pretty much the whole way. So that's kind of where I thought that was a mistake, but I could at least see the logic of what he was thinking. It's like, we're tying it up here if we're going to tie it up. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And reminiscent of, you know, the, the Diamondbacks taking 
aggressive turns on the base pass all season long. And that was put into perspective in that final series that the Giants played against the Diamondbacks this season. And I totally agree. It's just, I, I thought about some of those players and like Michael Harris, the second who comes out of nowhere, basically in the Braves farm system a few years ago, at least I hadn't been tracking him. There was huge, huge him. buzz on him. Really <laughs> low. It started really loud. There. Okay. Well, then I was completely wrong. There. <laughs> no, no, it was, a, it was a deep cut, a deep cut. <laughs> Uh, but what I'll say is let's think about like best case scenario for Luis Matos or best case scenario for a Marco Luciano. Are they hitting the ceilings that an Austin Riley and a Michael Harris are hitting at the major league level? Because you've studied these guys, you've studied their progression through the farm system. And I think it's so critical that the Giants build from within and have this homegrown talent be established as part of their next core what is that ceiling for these players that you've looked at? You know, Austin Riley is a really interesting guy to look at because uh, there was there was a person who was a really young guy uh, who worked for the Augusta newspaper named David Lee, who was covering the Augusta team when it was a Giants. So I, I developed a relationship with him and he now actually works for the Braves. Um, and I remember he was the guy who was lighting a signal for Acuna when he was 18 years old and actually missed most of that year with injury. And he was like, no, no, this, this guy's a big dude. Riley was on that team too. And he, David's view on Riley was much more muted. It was like, the bat's a little slow. It's a little long. There's huge power, but I don't know how it's going to play. And you remember when he got to the majors, he came up and he hit a bunch of home runs, which, you know, guys will do, but then he had a really fairly long period of struggle uh, where he was trying to adjust to how teams attacked him. And he really has improved himself at the major league level. He's a guy who got better, got a lot better uh, from, from somebody who you could see at one period, not to, not to compare these guys, but you could see something happening to him similar to like David VR, where it just suddenly the strikeouts get out of hand and you start sliding out of a position and that didn't happen because he he changed things, he improved things, he worked on his mechanics, on his swing, and he closed some of those holes. So what can happen at the major league level can be dramatic, and that's that's kind of the setup, I want to say. Um, Luciano, I think, is going to be really fascinating to see next year. I, uh, I don't know why my lights keep going on and on, but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I said this in a podcast last year with... Uh, with maybe Mark DeLuke or like there still is a path where he's like a 35 home run hitting shortstop, which is a really valuable player, no matter what else goes with that. And I think there will be strikeouts and I think the defense will be, you know, okay. Right. The defense needs to be kind of Corey Seager. That's who I've always comped him to as a shortstop. If you can play defense the way Corey Seager does, which is capable, but not better than that and hit a lot of home runs and have an impact bat, he's a really valuable player. I think we're going to see him be, he has always had an adjustment period to levels. There will be a period where the MLB is kicking his butt. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And then we'll see how long it takes him to, to find it. Matos is a different character because, you know, what the Giants keep saying, he's got to get stronger. He did not hit the ball hard enough this year. There's a lot of contact most of it's not good enough for the major league level. So we're going to have to see him find a way to hit the ball harder. If he can do that and then 
stay in center field, which is the other thing that really surprised me this year. That came out of nowhere. I watched him in the main minors at three levels, and I said, he can stick in center and hit enough to be a good player. Mm-hmm. If he can't stick in center, that raises all kinds of questions for me because I don't think he's ever going to have what you think of as a corner bat, right? He's not going to be a guy who hits a lot of home runs. He's just never been that player. So if he closes those two things, if he gets stronger, if, you know, and adjusts his defense to, to the majors, which I think he should be able to, he's always had good instincts and gets a little quicker. I mean, he's got to get more physical. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't, those are the things he's got to do to be a good starting major leaguer. If he doesn't, there's, there are complimentary roles for him that he can play and still be helpful because he's very good baseball IQ. But I do think there are questions right now as to if he's going to be a starter or not. Um, I guess, so here's my question for you kind of following on this. What mark are the giants trying to hit in 2024? Oh, is it, uh, is it a mandate, you know, win or go home, you've got to make the playoffs or this is over. Is it another development year or a first development year? What are they doing next year exactly? Well, I think that that is where this great crossroads that the Giants organization is at can be discussed and discussed forever, honestly. Like we could talk about this all off season. We could talk about this all of next season. And then we could reflect on it after next season because <laughs> I wonder if ownership's goals align with the front office's goals. And I wonder about you know who they bring in as manager and what those goals will be, because you'd have to believe that those goals will be independent. Someone who probably thinks that they won't just be here for one year, even though that is a distinct possibility when you're being hired by a president of baseball operations who has just one year on his contract. I would say at the ownership level, it is to make the playoffs. And I don't think that the Giants ownership actually has higher aspirations than that right now. I think that they're relatively realistic and knowing that, you know, an overhaul from a 79 win team is not going to lead to a world series. But I think that the calls have been loud enough. The frustration has been, you know, so widespread throughout the fan base and is being reflected in their ticket sales that you've got to put together a playoff caliber squad. You've got to get to the postseason, generate some excitement. Now, with all of that being said, are they going to give the front office the budget to improve the roster in a way that would enable the Giants to make the postseason. And I think that that's an open question because I don't know that this ownership group led by Greg Johnson is as committed to spending as say some of his predecessors like a Peter McGowan, like a Bill Newcomb were committed to spending and maybe even his dad, Charles Johnson, where the Giants look at 2015, 16, even 17, the payroll was huge and they were up there in the top five, six, seven teams in baseball. That was not the case this year. So I think for the front office, for keeping their jobs from, you know, Farhan's IDP Patilla, the general manager, it's got to be a playoff mentality. Now, I don't know that the Giants roster and personnel calls for that right now. Because <laughs> once again, they're staring at a situation where, well, you've got to develop Kyle Harrison. You've got to develop Marco Luciano. You've got to develop Luis Matos. At some point, you have to let these kids come up to the major league level and let them adjust at the major league level. And that means prolonged periods of struggles and prolonged at times failure. Like you have to sit there for 20 to 25 games where Marco Luciano goes five for 60 next year with 30 strikeouts, because it's a realistic possibility that that happens over a 20 game stretch if he's in and out of the lineup. And so 
that doesn't sound like a playoff team to me. And so, <laughs> so what do they do with this roster to get it to the point where you can, A, develop the homegrown kids who are going to be part of your future core, and B, bring in the supplementary talent to get you to the playoffs. And is it again an impossible needle to thread? It looks to me like unless you're landing Shohei Otani, Yamamoto, and Jung-Hoo Lee, by the way, I think <laughs> I, the more I look at Jung-Hoo Lee's stats, center fielder from South Korea, the more I think he's got to be on the Giants next season, even if it does inhibit the development of Luis Matos. Uh, but I just don't see an easy path to this frustrating era of Giants baseball <laughs> suddenly ending in 2024. Am I wrong? I have, I have a lot of thoughts that I want to respond to. Let me see if I can parse these out in any kind of coherent order. Have I ever done my spiel about the 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 2014-2015 Royals with you? No, no, you haven't. So that club, which is as good an example of a homegrown championship team as we really have, almost entirely came up in one giant wave in, I believe, April of 2011. And Gordon had been there a little earlier, but, you know, Mustakas, Hosmer, Sal Perez, a bunch of the pitchers, everybody started 2011 on that club. They didn't have their first 500 season as a group until 2014 they had three and a half years of losing baseball as a group of really talented future champions because it takes a while to figure it out it takes a while to figure out how you perform at that level and then how to win at that level so i agree with you if you want a team that has marco luciano and louis matos and kyle harrison and even even lee even jung-hoo lee um, Farhan said that Hassan Kim's success this year makes him a more viable free agent. I agree, but go back and look at Kim's first year. It wasn't that good. Even he will probably have an adjustment period. So if you're putting a bunch of those guys on the field, you are not gambling that you're going to be a postseason team, I don't think, unless some veterans really, really, really come through and help you. You're committing to some periods of some, some, some grown some growth work i would think um and i agree with you about the 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 budget too that's a whole nother question but the third question then is how do you actually make over a roster that as far as already said is going to have about 20 guys coming back you look at all of these arbitration guys and the and the opt-out guys and every single one of them you say yeah i'd like him back but you put them together and suddenly you've got you're back with this outfield with you know Hanniger and Conforto and Yaz and Slater and where does Matos play and where does Lee play and you've got the pitching staff that's got Tescafani and Stripling and Cobb and it's like where do you find <laughs> where do you find room for the yeah you can't run it back and yet all these bodies are there so what do you do exactly I, I think that. Now, more than ever, to borrow a phrase that we heard on every advertisement at the beginning of the pandemic, <laughs> now more than ever, the Giants need to trade. And they may be losing some of these trades. They may honestly be giving away uh, an Austin Slater or a Mike Yastrzemski or a J.D. Davis for pennies on the dollar for what they're worth and what they can get in return. But I think that you need to free up roster spots because... I don't know what that looks like. And maybe it's maybe it's trading, you know, two outfielders in a Yastrzemski and a Slater together for a young infield prospect. Maybe it's trading 
two of your pitchers coming up through the farm system right now and a Carson Wisenhunt and a Mason Black for an established center fielder in Major League Baseball. I don't know what that looks like. I'm glad that I'm not in the Giants <laughs> office. I, I'm, I'm, one thing I'm really good at is saying that they should spend a lot of money. One thing that I'm really bad at is actually figuring out who that money should go to. Uh, but I, I just... I think that they need creative trades and to flip over a decent portion of this roster. And what that looks like is, you know, maybe you're trading a Luis Matos or a Wade Meckler, maybe you're trading a Casey Schmidt or some of these up and coming prospects that, you know, maybe you're not trading them at the apex of their value, but you are bringing in either a established major league talent who you can rely on and say, okay, this person's going to be our two hitter all season, or this person's going to be our five hitter all season. And you build through free agency to find a leadoff guy or a three hitter and a Cody Bellinger. I don't know, but hypothetically speaking, the bottom line is there are so many players that yes, you just said yeah, in their individual scenarios, <laughs> 65, 66% of the time, you think it's a good idea to bring them back. But on the whole, when you add up nine or 10 of these guys that are arbitration eligible and the Giants have the opt-outs on and you say, do we want all of these guys back? The answer is certainly no. So yeah. that's why I think you tender them contracts and then you go and you figure out your roster from there. And I, how do you look at it? Would you rather trade some of the arbitration eligible guys and maybe you know, do the J.D. Davis and Mike Yastrzemski go route to free up opportunities for kids? Or are you packaging some of your prospects together to bring in established major league talent? How do you look at that? Well, I mean, again, this goes back to the question I asked of what, what Mark, what, who are they trying to be next year? Yeah. Um, I will say I'm about to be invaded by a cat. Uh, <laughs> the idea of trading for a young controllable player is a lot easier than finding a young controllable player that any team wants to to move uh, yeah. because those guys are valuable and the other thing that's tricky is you know I think the Giants will look at just to take one one of these examples the Giants will look at Mikey Scrimpsey and say yeah he's a 10 million dollar player he's a good player he's got value he's a leader in the clubhouse but then if you're trying to trade him to you know Cleveland or Cincinnati they may say ooh 10 million uh, that, that's kind of a lot um i would i agree with you that just some pairing needs to be done and some opportunities need to be created um i kind of look at Lamont Wade Jr as a guy who was very very good at times this year and overall was quite good but he's also now two years of physical issues have caused him a problem and he's i don't know what his age is but i guess he's probably close to 30 at this point so he may be a guy whose value will never be higher again uh if if his body keeps sort of breaking down on him I look at J.D. Davis as a guy I wouldn't mind moving. He's a he's a guy who has value to clubs, but I don't think a good club is necessarily giving him 500 at bats. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, you know, are there places where you can give these people better fits with other clubs uh, and get something back for it? Uh, I also would definitely dig into the minor league pitching. I don't think I'd trade Harrison because... No, I wouldn't either. One, left-handers who get swing and miss like that are just valuable in this game. And the other thing is, I just know... I know that he's a guy who hates to lose as much as Logan Webb does. And I think mm -hmm. we need more of those players. Yeah. Um, Hunt, uh, yeah, Hunt, Mason Black, some of that group, that tier, I would start dangling around for players, I think. Um, but I do think some, some nipping and tucking is necessary in this roster.
So here's another thought. If you're going to keep Wisenhunt and you're going to keep Luciano, and I firmly believe the Giants should keep two of those players, if there's one other prospect in the farm system right now that you would say the Giants have to keep this guy because of his potential or what he could bring to the Giants by at the very latest, the end of the 2024 season. It doesn't have to be someone who's at AAA right now, but someone who at the very latest is contributing by the end of next year. Who is a member of that group alongside Kyle Harris and Marco Luciano? Because I see it as there's a big glut of players who they might be starters, they might be fringe players. We just don't know yet. I don't have anybody... You're that, the prospect guy, Roger. No, no, no. What I mean to say is I don't think there is one of those guys. I okay. don't think there's anybody who you can't trade mm-hmm. who is ETA this year. I think if I ask, so it's, it's ranking time, right? I'm looking yeah. at my rankings. I'm, I say you've got Harrison, you've got Luciano, and then setting aside a couple of teenagers, I don't think there's another 50 value guy or if there is it's a couple of the pitchers it's mason black it's wizenhut it's those guys but i think after the harrison luciano you start dropping down into that 45 40 grade and those aren't guys you have to keep right those are by definition not not starters um i think that you know the two teenagers are really bryce eldridge who is their first pick uh in this year's draft and got is getting huge, huge reviews from scouts this year. And then Rainer Arias, who who they gave $2.8 million to as an international, and same thing, just came out and really proved out this year. Those two guys are separate, but they're not on the near horizon. So you could talk about them in big moves if you want. But if you're talking about guys who are going to be part of the club in the next year or two years, I don't think there's a must-keep beyond – Luciano and Harrison, and I don't even know if Luciano, or I will put it this way, I would imagine they have talked about Luciano in trades before, and I don't think they would resist a trade. Well, I guess the beat guys actually said he was offered as a key part of a Sean Murphy, a potential Sean Murphy trade last winter. So I don't think they're opposed to moving him in the right situation, although I think they're in a position where they need him to succeed uh, next year. Uh, yeah, you look at the shortstop market right now. and It's bad. It's not good. better value than Marco Luciano, seriously. No, it's absolutely. They're so. lucky he's there. I mean, they uh, hopefully he will stay healthy because uh, that's been an issue, but they are really lucky to have him right now because if if there is a path to – being in the playoffs next year, him being good is a huge part of that path. Yeah. And, and I was starting to think about this when you were talking about keeping Luciano and keeping Harrison and then the group of prospects who you can say don't fall into the untouchable category because they're not a 50 future value player. And I was starting to think, I wonder if the Giants will make their decision on how they build their roster after the initial wave of free agency. And what I mean by that is, after Otani makes a decision, and I think that the entire market's going to be held up this offseason, in all likelihood, by where Otani goes, because all these big teams that are going to want to be in on him are going to earmark that money in case Shohei Otani decides that he wants to come to their team. After that, I look at Yamamoto, Bellinger, Blake Snell, uh, Jung-Hoo Lee in this category that's maybe slightly above Matt Chapman, maybe you include Matt Chapman, and... Think the Giants were able to get a Snell or a Yamamoto and you build your rotation with Harrison, Webb, Cobb, and then one big free agent star pitcher. 
then maybe you say, okay, our path to the playoffs in 2024 is being a top five pitching team in all of baseball. And we're just going to let whatever happens on the offensive side of the ball happen from there. And then you can trade a Wizen Hunt. You can trade a Mason Black or a Tristan Beck and try and acquire someone who might come out and help you, whether it's you know, someone like a Dylan Carlson or another Northern California guy that the Giants can bring home because that's what they love to do. <laughs> but I wonder if it's that, and if they miss out on a Snell or a Yamamoto, maybe it's building with a Jung-Hoo Lee and then trading some of these other players to sign a, a Cody Bellinger and building on the offensive side. Because I think they've got to lean in one way or the other, because if they go halfway on both pitching and with this lineup, they're going to be a 79 win team that is an 81 or 82 win team in the best case scenario next year. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And I do think Yamamoto, if they're going to spend, you know, to, if they're going to shop at the top of the market, you know, and have the taste for spending 200 million on a pitcher, which is not something we've seen from them in the past, that he's probably the way to go um, with the caveat, of course, that 29 other teams think, or at least, you know, a lot of the competitive teams are going to be in on him at the top of the market too. So you've got to outbid people, which is not something we've seen from them. I would, you know, I will say that one thing that is heading in the right direction and go back to talking about Luciano again, um, just in the past couple of years, when I looked at the team, I am a believer that you need to be young and athletic up the middle of the field. That if you're if you're old and slow up the middle of the field, over 162 games, that's going to kill you. Somewhere those weaknesses are going to be exposed. So this year, you know, we got they got Patrick Bailey installed as their future catcher, and hopefully there's more offense than we saw this year. But at least you've got a good talent there. Luciano takes over shortstop. It's going to you know live through the adjustments, but there's a hitter there. Tyro Estrada is a good young second baseman. So now if you can figure out center field, you've started to get an up the middle core and you can think, well, is, is that Louis Matos? Is it Jung Hoon Lee? Is it Bellinger? Uh, I, I doubt I, it. I, I'm a little, I, I'm a little feeling the risk there. Check, check my tweet, the day that Cody Bellinger was called up, I said, future hall of famer, Cody Bellinger about to make his debut. If you go way, way back, if Cody Bellinger was the first, if people f read my writing, they know one of my little uh, oddities is that I always want the Giants to draft the children of people who are Giants, legacy <laughs> Giants. I'm always like, you got to draft the legacy Giant. That's why I was mad they didn't get Tyler Soderstrom. Bellinger was one of the first of those guys where I'm like, legacy Giant, because his dad, though he actually played for the Yankees, was drafted by the Giants and came up through their system. Legacy Giant. And they didn't get him and, and see what happens when you don't get the legacy Giant. It always comes back to haunt you. Um, anyway, you get Lee, Montos, Mecca, one, whoever these guys you think you believe in as a center fielder. Now you've got some athleticism and some youth up the middle, and now you can start building, you know, corner bats um and big pitching and and try and figure it out from there i think that's a that's a path to take yeah so one thing that we did at the end of the last episode that we did together was you asked the question are the giants going to be able to see the forest through the trees and one thing that i'd like to do is time's probably ticking down we probably got another 10 minutes here we is do. for you to say something brilliant so that i can name this episode uh something like that but in, in all seriousness maybe maybe we come up with a thesis here of the bottom line is something that you just said is the Giants need to build through the middle. And I think that that not only includes Luciano being great at shortstop or 
them signing a center fielder like a Jung Hu Lee who can just solidify the position, Patrick Bailey taking the next step offensively, but also on the mound, I think either A, they're going to have to sign a front-end starter to put in the front end of this rotation alongside Logan Webb and potentially Kyle Harrison one day, or they're going to have to sign someone who can play center field because if they're going to compete, like the question we asked in 2024, what is the viable path to contending? I think you've got to solidify center field. And I don't know that Luis Matos is going to give you that right away. Yeah. Well, first, let me just say, uh, if you're, if we are relying on me to say something intelligent <laughs> at the end of it, this is not a sustainable form of success. So <laughs> sustainable I don't know our, success. <laughs> I don't know if our window is open. Uh, if that's what we're hoping for. We're looking for um, a world series every year. We're not Jerry DePoto looking for a 54% episode here. Yeah. I mean, I, I am, I, I'm very interested to see how far in they are on Lee because I do think he would give you that kind of last peg. And I agree, you know, Matos did not look, Matos has always been a guy who played above his tools. Like he played a good center field, but he wasn't fast. And, he, you know, he's got great bat speed, but he wasn't powerful. So if the instincts aren't there, the speed's not going to make up for him. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like in center field. It might be more of a fourth outfielder profile. Wade Meckler is very fast, but I don't think he's a center fielder either. So finding that answer in center, I think, really is a, a big part of the future. What's interesting about that, and I think I said this to you on KMBR one time, is that for a front office that really believes in power everywhere on the field, they're coming up with a lot of answers that aren't actually power players. I mean, Pat Bailey's kind of a below average guy. Casey Schmidt is a definitely a below average guy. Uh, Lee is not a big power guy. Matos is not. So at some point they're going to have to find outside of Luciano, who definitely is uh, some power bats too. Here, here's my other one because the Giants love to bring guys home. Andrew Vaughn, the Chicago White Sox are going to be trading everyone. <laughs> Andrew Vaughn is coming home to the Bay area this off season and playing some first base. Yeah. The, uh, the pride of, uh, um, uh, shoot. Uh, the, what's the town he's from? It just jumped out of my head. Petaluma, Petaluma, right? Petaluma. Oh, yeah. yeah, he and was he the second best player from Petaluma in that class? Spencer Corbin. <laughs> I always think of Petaluma as the place that where American graffiti was shot. Uh, <laughs> this probably because I'm very odd. Um, <laughs> what do you I, what do you think the odds are? Is Yamamoto for your for your taste like the single best use of their their purchasing power they could make this year? It depends on the purchasing power. I mean, honestly, like Otani to me is without. Well, there you go. But that's that's off the board. I don't think anyone can bank on Otani uh, because everyone's going to be in on him. You're writing him a blank check. And who knows what that looks like if he's not pitching a few years from now. But I think if you're able to get Yamamoto and then you're able to either trade for or sign a legitimate middle of the diamond guy then it's been a successful offseason because you can win with a rotation of Logan Webb, Kyle Harrison, even if he struggles next year, even if the ERA is around four, four, five. I think that by the end of the season, he will be developed in a way that he can help you win games. Alex Cobb and whoever else they decide, whether Ross Stripling comes back and somehow miraculously takes down 120 innings for this team. One of my last actually... You know, one of my last, I think, fears about the Giants is that they won't be able to fill 100 innings of 4.2 ERA ball. Like, that's what Farhan can do. 
And it is yeah. it sexy? No. Do fans like it? No. But the bottom line <laughs> is they consistently find a league average guy or enough league average guys to cobble together a 4-1 or a 4-2 ERA at the back end of that rotation. Sometimes it's bullpen games, but nevertheless, I think that the bottom line, if you're asking the best way to use that money, it's Yamamoto or it's Lee and I don't see it being Bellinger. I don't see it being Matt Chapman. Maybe it's a huge trade for Mike Trout, but again, how Ooh. likely is that? What about Juan Soto? Oh yeah, I mean, if 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 they have to get their payroll down and Soto is available, and you're not getting him unless you're giving up a Harrison or a Luciano, probably, would you do that? I'd do Juan Soto and give up Luciano. I would give up Luciano. I'd give up, what's it going to take? Uh, two of the pitchers, Mason Black and Carson Wisenhunt. Is, is yeah, that a- or, or, or maybe like Keaton Wynn, right? Keaton yeah, Wynn, yeah. He's enough. Wow. like that. A guy with major league experience who might be a little, a little more, because again, they're going to have all of these arms. You can't create spots for all of these guys. I would so. do that deal as long as you're comfortable giving Juan Soto $500 million. As long as you're, as long as you're making that trade with the understanding, not, not necessarily the expectation. I need more than that. The understanding that you're going to sign him to a 15 year, $500 million deal. Then I would do that deal. And I do it because Marco Luciano has back issues and you can just go out and sign. There's got to be a shortstop available who is familiar with Oracle Park. Maybe you bring Brandon Crawford in for a season. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it all goes back to what you said at the beginning. What's what's the payroll, which I don't think we really know. I mean, um, I think Ben Caspic has been saying this over on, on Lockdown Giants that, you know, the first two years of Farhan's time there, they cut it down about $40 million. And they went up this year, but they went up by the exact amount that the one-time payout of the BAM technology gave teams. Is it going back down? Is it going to stay where it is? Uh, It seems like there's a taste for superstar money if they get one of those guys. But I don't know that the budget is going up for just, you know, an accumulation of people. If if the Giants' budget doesn't go up, there's going to be a revolt. I mean, Greg Johnson's not going to be able to show his face at games, really. <laughs> I, does, does he show his face at games? <laughs> I I don't think so. But he's not going to be able to show his face at press conferences. And the Giants have a pretty reasonable press corps compared to the East Coast. That's for sure. And I mean, the other thing is, getting to the playoffs makes you money. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the Giants know that better than anybody. That a playoff run is a really valuable asset. And if you don't make it a few years in a row, that hurts more than not spending helps, I think. A playoff run with homegrown stars is yeah. a valuable asset. People show up to Oracle Park when that happens. So that's I would I would like to think that that's going to be true. <laughs> well, I think I think that'll wrap things up for us today, Roger. Um you we, said enough brilliant things that I've got an episode headline. 